This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Letterboxd. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, more of our podcasts at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts, and you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And also, if you want to support us uh, further than those social media places i guess um, uh you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer at the minimum rate of one dollar per month which gets you uh access to an exclusive rss feed with content that's recorded specifically for patreon and supporters we are up to just about a hundred patreon recordings and one dollar per month gets you access to all of that um so check that out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and i also want to mention that you can uh, buy merch at our T Public store. Link in the show notes. But we do have masks available. So if you want to, um, help stop coronavirus in fashion, I don't know, um, <laughs> and support the podcast, uh, check out our masks. The material's solid. It, it's a little. It's a little. Uh, it's comparable. It's a little thin, but it's comparable to just a regular medical mask that you can get. Um, so it's not like an n. 25 masks or anything like that it's cloth but they're pretty cool the designs look really cool um check that out the quick url for that is tinyurl.com slash ov masks um yeah tiny have you bought a mask i have not yet okay i do know like one person bought a tower junkies mask and i'm so happy um and then i bought the rest (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um, so yeah, so having said all of that, Tiny, Yeesh. hi, oh yeah, I also mentioned I am your affirm- one of your aforementioned hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today is Tiny. Tiny, how's it going? Hello, I'm good. Good, good. Did you, uh, I'm not going to say that on the podcast. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, how, how's, how's life going? We are recording this September 16th, mm-hmm. uh, 2020, um, still going strong with the pandemic and everything. How's We are. Has anything changed for you in the last time since we've mm. recorded? I have to check in on an app on my phone every day for work, like an answer four questions. Oh, really? Like, have I been exposed to anybody? With, right. Do I have a temperature? For any reason, do you think you might have COVID? It's dumb. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, That is, is interesting because it actually brings me into a, a little weird story. Um, I went to the dentist. Because mm-hmm. I mentioned on Patreon, or maybe outside of Patreon, I referenced it on Patreon. That's what you pay. That's what you pay for. Um, <laughs> so I've been having this jaw pain for a while, and I just kind of assumed that my wisdom teeth were coming in weird or something. Mm-hmm. So I've been putting off going to the dentist, and then it started hurting a lot. And I was like, "Okay, Jesus, take the wheel. Uh, Jesus, take the <laughs> teeth." Um, so I said I scheduled an appointment for the dentist, and like. I don't go to the dentist often. Yeah, me either. Yeah, it's bad. I'm going to start now. But, uh, like, it's it's just so interesting these days because, like, I had to... 
um, and I, I shared this I, a while ago. I shared this on my Facebook page. Like there was, there's a video of Ronald Reagan, his him giving his speech, uh, where he says, uh, I think it's a campaign speech or something, uh, and he's like, just I wanted you to answer one simple question: Are you better off now than you were four years ago? Mm-hmm. And I shared, <laughs> I shared that on Facebook. Um, <laughs> I had said, uh, uh, I think I took, I don't know. I said like. Yep, just uh, sharing this, sharing this while I work from home, while I've been working from home for the last six months, um, except for on the days that I'm allowed into the building, it allowed into a mostly empty building where I have to wear a mask and uh, sp- uh, use disinfectant on every surface that I touch. Um, <laughs> just going to share this here. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah. So anyway, so, oh, and I had also made a dentist appointment where I will have to get there like 15 minutes early and then they will send out a clipboard with the paperwork and I will have to fill it out in my car and, uh, come in with a mask when they tell me that I'm allowed to. God. Um, so yeah. So anyway, I made the appointment and everything I went and it turned out like there was no one in the built, like in the, in the waiting room. So like they let me in to fill out the paperwork in there. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So if you go to the dentist, dentist after not going to the dentist for a while, mm-hmm. um, it's a little shocking. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is, this is not really pertinent to anything, but, um, they took x-rays and stuff cause of the pain is like, I thought it was my wisdom teeth and like the way that they did that, like I almost threw up on the hygienist. Mm. Like I almost like vomited because they were putting it all the way back, like toward the the back of my throat. Right. But like off to the side, like by my, by my teeth. Mm-hmm. And it was like, just my gag reflex is so terrible Yeah. that like I kept, like I, I was gagging and I was like, can I get some water? And they're like, yeah. And then like, I think they commented or they, they were, they implied like, don't drink too much water because, you know, you'll just throw up the water. I'm Uh-oh. like, I can't, like, it's, I, there's no other, like, I can't handle it. Anyway, but then the other fun thing <laughs> is that they were, they were checking the, like, I don't know, the tenderness of the gums or something. They were doing something to the gums. Yeah. Where they were. They just jab sharp metal yes. into your gums. Yep. Yeah. Yep. At like every tooth. Yes, I hate it, that. Oh my god! I was like, I was like, ne- not nearly crying, but like I was, I was like, <laughs> I was closing my hands into fists, and like I was like, not enough to draw blood or anything, but like I was so nervous because it was painful, mm-hmm. like extremely painful, and then also I was like, if I jolt or if I what jerk or whatever like yeah it'll just be terrible but mm-hmm. um yeah so anyway every time I'm, every time they do that to me when i go to the dentist i'm like how is this not torture yeah oh yeah yeah how is this not protected by the geneva convention yeah oh yeah yeah so anyway so that was my experience um with that um yeah and uh it's not my wisdom teeth <laughs> oh, that's a bummer yeah um my top wisdom teeth are in, and I they recommended that I get them taken out. I'm probably going to wait until like January to do that. Yeah. Um. But the the issue with my jaw is not dental dental related. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Um. What I think it is, it's interesting because, um, I saw a post on Facebook about this recently. I don't want to say who it was, but they said like, oh, do you have any remedies for JMB pain? Hmm. 
and it's where like your te- you grind your teeth and it's like your jaw it's like it's like chronic pain in your jaw mm. from teeth grinding and stuff. Okay. Um so I think that that's might be what it is. But huh. anyway, I just that's a huge tangent that I didn't mean to. So <laughs> today on the show <laughs> uh yeah, that's I mean that's our covid check-in I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um I was going to I was going to post um and be snarky and be like i just want to this is hard for me to say but i went to the dentist um last week and i i just want to i just want to just say real quick just rest in peace to my dentist and the two hygienists that helped me because they were wearing a mask for like the entire visit and they i'm sure that as soon as i left they suffocated and died <laughs> um so yeah anyway um, but I didn't because I'm only kind of an asshole. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Tiny, today on the podcast, uh, we're doing a bunch. We have a lot of things to catch up on. Yes. So first of all, um, we're going to be our main reviews for this episode are going to be The Social Dilemma, which is available on Netflix. It's a documentary about social networks and phones and stuff. And then we are. Oh, this is Okay. Let me take this again, because I this I I think I've got a good intro for this. Oh boy, we're going to be reviewing two movies today. One is a documentary about the dangers of our constant attention paid to social media and to cell phones and how much we look at our phones every day. And the other movie is a movie that I could not stop staring at my phone during. (laughs) We're talking about the documentary, The Social Dilemma on Netflix and the Mick G sequel, um, The Babysitter, Killer Queen. Uh, both new releases, both on Netflix. We're going to talk about that, but we do have a lot to catch up on, Tiny. Mm-hmm. So the last time we recorded an episode, it was, I think we recorded it like August like 26th or something. Okay. And I believe it was August 28th that news broke that Chadwick Boseman passed away. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't edited the podcast yet. And I thought about like recording something to just put in as like a tribute to him because it was obviously it was weird. Like, okay, we're releasing an episode after his passing, but I ended up just putting like a a disclaimer on the on the uh, show notes for it because I wanted to give us like time to actually talk about it a Mm -hmm. little bit. But Chadwick Boseman, who played uh, uh, King uh, T'Challa in Black Panther, and he was also in Twenty One Bridges. The Five Bloods. Um, 42. 42, yes. 42. Um, Get On Up. And uh, uh, was the movie Marshall? Was it just Marshall? About Thurgood Marshall? Marshall? I That sounds right. I haven't seen it. Yeah, me, me neither. But anyway, he uh, obviously was, was very, like, popular. And he was, he, like, a rising star. Um, he passed away from colon cancer. Right. And something that just really shocked me was that he was diagnosed in 2016. Mm-hmm. And those movies came out and were filmed, and he was on press junkets and everything for them while undergoing treatment for colon cancer. Mm-hmm. And just, I, I shared this on Facebook and, and everything, because it, it, it's one of those celebrity deaths that kind of hit hard just because of the impact of it, and in the shock to the system of it. But I posted two things. One was that I feel like his, 
story, his legacy is the stuff of legends. Like not, not, not in the sense that like, Oh God, he was like, he just did all this. He, He worked so hard, even though he had this thing, like it's not that it's more a reverence for his character as a person from what I can glean from just everything that I've read about him. But it's just this idea that a person has the possibility of a finite amount of time. And instead of taking that time to, you know, publicly fight something that could, you know, that could end up shortening their lifespan considerably, he chose to fight it, but not make it public. Like just Mm -hmm. the, the privacy, the, fact of privacy is like amazing to me that he kept it not not necessarily kept it a secret, but that he, that it was private and everything. Cause it's, you know, it's a personal thing for him, but the fact that he did all of this, he did all this work. He like the, the performances that he did and the fact that he kept going and everything is just really the stuff of just legend um, for me. Yeah. And yeah. not, not only that, but like, some several of those roles were very physical like you know oh, yeah. obviously black panther he had mm-hmm. to be uh, those marvel movies are famous for having yeah ripped dudes you know mm. who were in peak physical condition and he fell into that category for sure it all was... all while his body was you know fighting against him and yeah poisoned basically and i i rewatched black panther that night when when the news broke cuz it broke pretty late at night and I watch, I rewatched Black Panther because I was thinking like, the, uh, in a weird sense, it kind of, I, w- I was watching it kind of in tribute to him because it's an, an incredible performance and everything, but also just thinking like, just, it kind of recontextualizes it knowing like his story now. Um, and I had read Ryan Coogler's very just like, just emotional, touching very touching tribute to him where he was talking about like how they developed things about black Panther, like how they like, like the, I don't know the way he eulogized him was just beautiful, but he didn't know he, even he didn't know, like it wasn't like something that like, um, the studio was aware of and they had to work around it or anything like just, I was just blown away by that. But, um, but yeah, he um oh god, did you see that clip of him um talking about the the kid yeah. with cancer? Like that was like that got me. Like that Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um for me I would say uh you know, there 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 are two um two little kids, uh, Ian and Taylor who um recently passed. Uh from cancer and throughout our filming I was communicating with them um, knowing that they were both terminal and and what they said to me is and their parents said they just they're trying to hold on till this movie comes mm. and I to a certain degree you hear them say that and you're like like wow that's like I gotta get up and I gotta get up and go to the gym. I gotta get up and go to work. Um, you know, I gotta learn these lines. I gotta work on this accent. Uh, you know, seeing how devoted all of my castmates are 
and knowing that 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 will be something meaningful to them but it's to a certain degree it's, it's a humbling experience because you're like this can't mean that much to them you know but seeing how the world has taken this on seeing how the movement is how it's taken on a life of its own i realized that they anticipated something great and um i think back now to a kid and just you know uh waiting for christmas to come waiting for my birthday to come mm. uh, waiting for a toy that was going to that i was going to get a chance to experience or a video game i did live life waiting for those moments and so it put me back in the mind of being a kid just just to experience those two little boys um anticipation of this movie and when i found out that they take your time with it Yeah, it's it's it means a lot. But anyway, he he was someone who knew the importance of the roles that he was taking and the importance of like the role in Black Panther and everything, and like and just I I mean, reading up on him and everything. The the other post that I made to circle back to my fragmented conversation, like my fragmented points that I'm making, <laughs> is that um. The other post was that this, like the story of Chadwick Boseman, like what he achieved and what he did with the time that he was given, um, is the exactly the embodiment of why I I don't like and don't engage in conversations with people who downgrade or or discount the importance of like blockbuster comic book movie filmmaking mm -hmm. um because because you can say okay it's not like the whole stupid ridiculous martin scorsese oh they're not cinema thing or whatever like i just i was pretty silent about that entire thing because i'm like i don't give a shit like it's right. people have opinions people can have opinions and everything but the whole argument of is it cinema or is it real like a real film with a capital f or whatever um like all that is just moot to me because the power of this like the power behind it is the power to inspire kids and inspire people to be better than than uh, then they think that they can be, that they can even fathom being and everything. And I think that that's embodied really well in Chadwick Boseman as, as a person, as a human being. Um, because he, like anytime I see a celebrity who's in like a comic book movie or what have you go to visit like sick children in the hospital and like they'll, they'll be in character, they'll be in costume, what, whatever, like doing their part for that it's like, it is so heartwarming to me. And that's why it's important to like recognize that, yes, these are important to our culture. And like these, like these movies mean more to people than people who will just discount them, give them credit for, um, or are willing to give them credit for. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, um, 
It's a way of creating yeah. creating symbols for people. I think absolutely. I think saying that you're creating heroes is maybe a bit of a stretch, mm-hmm. but you're you're symbolizing something for a whole group of people. Yeah, and that's yep. I agree. It's really important. Yeah, yep. And that's something um, I didn't really, I didn't fully grasp that. I think until probably until Wonder Woman came out, and and everybody oh, yeah. was talking about how, you know, I've I, my daughter is. You know, however many years old, she's nine or ten years old, or mm-hmm. and she's just there's never been any people were saying that you're not saying your daughter, saying that, <laughs> yeah. but people were saying that, um, you know, my daughter's nine or ten years old and she's never had a, a character like that mm-hmm. who was the star of a movie, yes, and like her name was in the title and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and just what that meant to my daughter. And I was like, I never, you know, I never understood that because I've, I'm a white dude. And it's like, right. I've got so many of those examples to look up to. And yeah, you know, it's, it's just, it never hit me until that, how important that was. It's not yeah. like I ever disparaged those movies, but I'm just saying I never, the weight of it never really hit me until then. Yep. Um, and then black Panther was another example mm-hmm. of it, obviously. Yeah. Um, and also ghostbusters. Um, mm. One of the kind of go-to anecdotes I have for that is that, like, I really get just really annoyed when people just shit on. Go- like, I've seen people post about the 2016 Ghostbusters, and this is my one of my big pet peeves. Just in general, is it starts with I've I've never seen this movie, and I will never see this movie <laughs> because this is not Ghostbusters. There's no Ghostbusters 2016 because this is an abomination. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, let's settle down here. Calm down. But I remember seeing that movie in the theater, and I remember – I even said this on the podcast. I remember like coming out of the bathroom and seeing this man with his young daughter, who couldn't have been more than like six or seven, I think. I don't know. Um, and then he – this was a little questionable, but he went into the bathroom and told her to stay out there, <laughs> um, which makes sense. But also it's like, you know, she's a kid. Um but what do I know? Anyway, um, and she stood next to a big like stand for Ghostbusters with with, um, oh my god, why can't I remember the names off the top of my head? Kristen Wiig and Melissa. Uh, Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, and uh, she stole every scene she was in. Oh, <laughs> she um, was amazing. Uh, Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon. Yeah. Like like a big standee with their with their faces and and them holding the the Ghostbuster guns. Um, <laughs> And like I watched this, okay, this is gonna sound weird. I watched this little girl, um, <laughs> and she like she just embraced it, like she like full on hugged it. Wow! And I was like, that renders all of the butthurt fanboy bullshit arguments completely pointless. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But also, don't fucking criticize a movie if you're not if you haven't watched it. Right. Like, just don't. You're an ass. Anyway. I agree. So anyway, um, yeah, Chadwick Boseman, um, you know, that was, that was, um, pretty, pretty shocking, but he leaves behind a hell of a legacy. Right. Um, it's really incredible what he did with his last years. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, just the roles he took, like Jackie Robinson, Thurgood Marshall, and, uh, um, my God, James Brown. Yeah. Um. And Black Panther. And Black Panther. Yeah. But it's just like, it's, oh, it's. Like I said, he's just uh, uh, amazing. Yep. Um, yeah. So rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Absolutely. Yep. Um, 
And so a few things to run down real quick. Um, we can talk about it in more detail if you want, um, each one. But a few things that I want to talk about are... Um, the, so the first one I want to talk about is the trailer for Matt Reeves' The Batman, mm-hmm. starring Robert Pattinson. Yep. If you are justice, please do not lie. What is the price for your blind eye? The hell are you supposed to be? Paul Dano as the Riddler. Mm-hmm. Also, did you know that Colin Farrell is playing the Penguin? I, I remember after no, like I, I knew I. So after the trailer came out, and everybody was talking about how he's mm-hmm. not in the trailer, but he actually was. Um, I was like, holy shit, that's right, he's in this movie, and because he's just completely unrecognizable. Yeah, I still don't recognize him as yeah, Colin Farrell. I cannot pick him out. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh yeah. So the trailer came out. Um this was this was a few weeks ago. Um how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling really good about it and uh which really surprises the shit out of me because <laughs> I I was I was I'm at the point as, as a, a fan of the Batman franchise where I kind of want them to let it, you know, kind of put it on a shelf for a little while, let it let right. it marinate, let it do it let it do its thing and let's just not have Batman for a little while. That's kind of where I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, the trailer just looks damn good. I, I really, yeah. um, I'm, I'm happy with all of the casting. I've mm-hmm. been on board with Robert Pattinson from the very get go. Me too. I have been a Robert Pattinson fan for a long time, mm-hmm. but a lot of people were shitting on him for Twilight. Yeah. I was like, look, those movies are fucking ridiculous, but he's pretty good. Like, I think he's yeah. a good actor and he's done some damn good stuff. And I think my theory was, or my suspicions were, have improved at this point. I think he's oh, yeah. a really good actor. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm fully on board with him as, as Bruce Wayne, Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think kind of the star of the trailer is really Matt Reeves vision. It's yes. very dark. Reminds me a lot of like, um, bat, the second Batman that, um, the dark Knight. No, oh, Batman um, returns, Batman returns. Thank Tim you. Burton. The Tim yeah. Burton did it. Very, like the very dark tones. Mm-hmm. Um, almost gothic tones that that movie had. And I was like, that's kind of a, that's going to be sort of refreshing, even though I'm not saying, you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman had, was obviously dark, you know, but this just feels on a, on a completely different style of darkness or, or or Mm. gothicness or whatever. Um, And then, you know, obviously it's, it's a very stark contrast to, what Ben Affleck did with the character, yeah, in the the couple movies from mm-hmm. uh, Zack Snyder, um, but yeah, so I I mean it's it, it does look cool and refreshing, but I I'm just worried about Batman fatigue, I guess. Yeah, I you know it's funny I I get that I don't subscribe to that I I don't feel like I will be that fatigued okay. by it, and one of the reasons why is that like I don't read a lot of comic books or anything mm-hmm. I have a whole shit ton that I just collected and don't 
haven't read. <laughs> um, but I have read a, a, a relative to the amount of comics that I read, uh, which is not a lot, is I've read a considerable amount of Batman comics. Mm-hmm. And like just the lore of Batman, every time I like revisit Batman or like in it's in his like original form, <laughs> like in comic mm-hmm. book form, I just think of just like I'm kind of struck by um how vast his mythology is and how how big his iconography is and in just right. in like the western canon am i using that right i think yeah. i don't know yeah the western canon like he is like one of those characters that has lasted for decades upon decades upon decades um at this point it's coming up on a century coming up on a century yeah and throughout there are so many different per- permutations of him there's so, there's so there's a wealth of stuff to mine for content and but in addition to that just the world of gotham city the universe of batman like obviously there's you know the whole dc universe and everything is ridiculous and crazy and has so many moving parts but just like if you just take it down to the batman and bat family level like there are just characters and character beats and and situations that are just iconic and amazing and just like dynamics that are so interesting like i said before like i think after batman v superman or maybe after suicide squad i was like or i think (laughs) actually i think it was after the lego batman movie (laughs) (laughs) um like my big thing was like i i don't want dc to do justice league or do like a whole expanded universe like just start from scratch and just do bat family like do batman do uh um catwoman catwoman uh batgirl um robin and nightwing and like have all of these like characters have a more contained expanded universe but have all of these different voices and different different characters coming into play like that is the expanded universe that they should focus on because it's so just vast with its own stuff but anyway Hmm. that's speaking as someone who doesn't read comic books (laughs) and has only read of the comic books he's read the most that he's read is batman which is not a lot of him so you know what have you but um but yeah and, and so i don't know where i was going with that but um i don't think i'll be fatigued by batman because i think that there's always a unique way to <laughs> i feel like there's always a unique way to present the story but apparently they've signed a deal with the devil to where they need to show martha and bruce's dad uh what's his name um Lorenzo? No. Um, <laughs> I can't remember. I, wow. Uh, Thomas Wayne. Thomas Wayne. Martha and Thomas Wayne be killed every single freaking movie. Right. That I'll get fatigued on, but I just, I just think that there's a lot of stuff to mine from the source material. So anyway, yeah. having said that, this trailer, oh, I am so pumped, Tiny. I know. It looks really good. It really does. So uh, when when this trailer was released, I was in a socially distanced um, <laughs> setting with a, with a few people and some of the, a couple of the guys who I was like hanging out with, they, they, they're not, they're not as plugged into like pop culture or like movies as like we are. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were watching the trailer and they're like, they've got the guy from twilight playing Batman. <laughs> 
And I'm like, the lighthouse. Watch the lighthouse, right? Please, just watch the lighthouse. And I've also heard that Good Time is really good, even though I haven't seen it. I promise, Ben, I'll watch it. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway. Um, but watching that trailer, like I remember, I remember when between the, when the Dark Knight was released and the time that the Dark Knight Rises came out, or really when news was releasing about the Dark Knight Rises, I remember in that window of time, I remember you and I worked together and I had spent a a few times like explaining to you like, this is how I want the third Batman movie to be. (laughs) Um, So Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in Inception. And so I think he would be a really good Riddler (laughs) in the third Batman movie. Yeah, And the Batman movie that Nolan will make will be a kind of crime noir detective thing where it's focusing on Batman being the world's greatest detective and the Riddler is leaving all of these clues and everything and is, is hunting him and everything. And he has to use his detective skills to do that. This was in 2008 to 2000 or it was 2010 to 2012 because Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Right. Um, and like now we've got, Something that looks like it could be close to that vision that I had. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, that has me super excited. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so we'll see. We haven't had a very good version of the Riddler in live action either. I mean, Jim Carrey. No, I agree. <laughs> um, I I totally agree. Yeah. Um, I, I think I may have mentioned this on the podcast, but for shits and giggles, and when I say for shits and giggles, I mean... Um, since I'm, you know, everyone is in a pandemic and not really doing much of anything. Um, I had a lot of time to kill (laughs) and I think I deleted the note because nope, I didn't. Um, so I've been thinking of projects that I could, I did bring this up on the podcast, but I've been thinking of projects I could do for the website, like review series and stuff. And I was like, what if I reviewed everything in film and TV of Batman? Wow. And, like, I have a list of 58 titles. Jeez. This includes animated movies, TV series that I've divided into, like, like Batman the Animated Series, Volume 1, Volume 2, Volume 3, Volume okay. 4. Um, so, I, like, this goes back to the 1966 movie and TV show, but there's just so much. I don't know. Um, I, I won't do this at all, but... Um, just something fun that I did. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So that comes out next year. Uh, mm-hmm. it was really funny because the end of the trailer has like 2021, but I think the twos are question marks. Yeah. And a lot of people online were like, I've never seen a more, like, uh, a more accurate release release year <laughs> on a, on a trailer before <laughs> because who knows? Right. Damn. Yeah. Uh, which, speaking of which, uh, Robert Pattinson got COVID. Oh, did he really? Yeah, did you not hear about that? No. Yeah, production shut down, restarted, and then shut down because someone tested positive for, for coronavirus. And it turns out that it was Robert Pattinson. Wow. And so they had to shut down production. But then I read that Matt Reeves was open production back up. Obviously, I'm I'm sure it's after, you know, the necessary people like people tested negative and like they had confirmation from that. But so, so that he could shoot like the stuff that Robert Pattinson wasn't needed for. Okay. Um, but that is a whole other conversation to talk about with, you know, opening stuff up and 
everything. So I don't know. Hmm. Neither of us have seen Tenet yet. Nope, haven't seen that one yet. Nope. I'd like to. Me too, but I don't want to die. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm just gonna wait for VOD. Oh really? Yeah, I just because I'm I'm not gonna go to the movie theater, and the drive-in is still showing it, but I don't want to see it in the drive-in. Yeah. Um, I don't want to pirate it because no. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll probably try to see it in the next few weeks. Really? Yeah. Like in the theater? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so where are you at with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I've been, I've never had to quarantine this whole time. Yeah. I, like I've said before, I go right. out for work every day, so I'm just used to being out there. I'm really not scared of it at this point. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm being some badass or anything. It's right. just like, I, I don't have a choice but to go out in the world and be around people, so... Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be out around people anyway, so I. It doesn't. It, it's. I'm not really worried about it in that right. regard. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I understand that. Um, well, let me know how the experience. Is. Yeah. Do I think it's wise? Probably not. Yeah. For for people to go see movies in general, I don't. Mm-hmm. It's probably not the best thing, but. Um, it's it's like one of the worst environments. Yeah. Possible. It it is. It really is. Yeah. And like, I want nothing more than like. Every time I see fucking dickheads posting about, like, someone that we went to high school with posted a picture, like, like shared a picture of some stupid ass protest thing or whatever that was like, I took a screenshot. I was like, this specific day, this, um, uh, I have it here. Um, it says the, you shared it let's go and the person who originally shared it was like who's with me and it says uh burn your masks september 15th enough is enough america has declared that masks are no longer mandatory it stops when we say so (laughs) and has this picture (laughs) of just a mask with a red x over it i'm just like okay that fuck you i fuck fuck you fuck (laughs) fuck you i just i can't i uh did you see the video of the the um uh clearly super privileged white people <laughs> um <laughs> running through a target store the aisles of a target store no. chanting without masks on uh singing along or singing uh really poorly uh <laughs> to the uh to the song we're not gonna take it oh god um yeah and I one of the not see that yeah it's it's ridiculous it's un unreal and like two thoughts on that and then we can get back to actual movie talk um one is that um <laughs> when i see things like that and like the guy berating the person and, and chipotle um mm-hmm. when i see that I just think like, I wish that I had a business. I wish that I owned a business like a storefront Mm -hmm. just so I could get the glee of just shutting these people down, Mm -hmm. calling the police and having them trespassed Mm -hmm. so that they can't come back. Like I, like I would just do everything I could to just like get them away from me forever. Yeah. Um, because it's just entitled assholes anyway. Um, and then the other thought about that was, a tweet that I saw about the people in Target running around was like, um, oh, I can't remember. I've retweeted it. It said, 
you only look at masks as oppression as oppression if you've never experienced any. Mm. And I that's thought that funny. was really good. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yep. Um. So yeah. Jesus Christ. Anyway. So um. Yeah. So who knows? Um. Let me know <laughs> when you do do go see a movie so I can ask you. <laughs> to change your will um <laughs> no so i can so i can ask you how it is and see sure kind of report from the front lines okay um yeah and then so speaking of movie theaters and everything um you posted something when this trailer when this next trailer dropped mm-hmm. i've not seen the trailer for dune okay and one of the things that i kind of like about the world we live in well, no let me backtrack one of the things i kind of like about not going to the movie, not being able to go to the movie theater from my own personal like decision not to go to the movie theater is that I now control what, what trailers I see. Mm -hmm. And so like, I know I'm going to see Dune at some point. I know I'm looking forward to it. So I don't need to see the trailer and I'm super excited about that because I, I don't know anything about it. Um, Mm Tiny, you're a big fan of Dune. I am. Um, how did you feel about the trailer, and uh, what's your excitement level at for this? Uh, my s- excitement level is still through the roof, mm-hmm. peaked, uh, and I was very happy to report that the the trailer did not disappoint at all. Nice. Um, it was a well constructed trailer, and that I don't think they gave too much away. Nice. I I don't think they. Um, for example, the main villain is like is in it for like two seconds. He says like two words. I mean, it's, I think the, the reveal of the Baron Harkonnen is going to mm-hmm. be very disturbing. It's going to be, um, in, in the books, he's like purely evil, like, and, 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 and a horribly disfigured, disgusting person, like physically. Okay. Um, and, and in the, the, David Lynch movie from the eighties, it was the, the character was kind of laughable, like not, mm-hmm. not done very well. Um, and so I'm, I'm really hoping that with, you know, Denis Villeneuve and, um, Stellan Skarsgård playing him, I have very high hopes that they're going to deliver on his formidability and, and mm-hmm. how, how repulsive and, and truly evil the character is. Um, so that's one thing I'm really looking forward to that wasn't like spoiled for me in the trailer, I guess. Nice. Um, I was hoping we were going to get our first look at, you know, one of the, the, the worms and what the worms are going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, just, just the other visuals that I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, nice. I, I, it's, it only amplified my excitement for the movie. I'll put it that way. Nice. Yeah. And so let me ask you this. Um, so you've, you've seen, uh, how do you feel about the presentation in the trailer? This might be a tricky question that might not yield as good results as I think it might. Um, how do you feel about it versus what could have been from the documentary Hodorowsky's Dune? Oh, which um, I haven't seen that documentary either. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard. It's kind of hard to separate those two because I've never okay. seen a Yodorovsky movie before. Oh, uh, me neither. Um, so I, I can't really comment on that. But his just hearing Yodorovsky talk about it, he was. He, you can tell he's a visionary person, and he's mm. got. He he's a true artist, and he had a full vision 
for that movie, and he was focused so much on the vi- on on the visual medium of filmmaking mm. that like he would he would cast an actor based on their appearance and and how okay. well they physically match a character as opposed to any kind of like uh audition or uh, pressure from a studio he didn't give a fuck like he was going <laughs> to cast he was going to cast Salvador Dali as one of the characters oh god and it's like he's that guy's I not even I an remember actor. that yeah like that. he just had all these random people selected Jeez. who weren't even actors and mm-hmm. i was like i respect that that's awesome you know i don't know if that movie would have been great or not but the guy just had a vision, and I, I liked that. But um, that never. This is gonna be so shitty of me to say, but that reminds me of people fan casting the Dark Tower and saying that Scott Eastwood should play Roland because he's Clint Eastwood's son. And I'm right. like, I'm the same way. Like he's not an actor. <laughs> God, <laughs> um, Scott Eastwood, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do like you in the uh, Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, he's fine. Fun. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. but I will say right now in 2020, if I had to pick a filmmaker to make Dune, it would be mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve. Nice. And I, the cast is perfect. Timothy Chalamet. I like, yeah. I know nothing about the character of, of that he's playing, but I really like him as a performer. So he's I think perfect casting. Nice. Yeah. Um, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin. Oh yeah. Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar nice. Isaacs. Um, seventeen hundred other people. Right. I mean, Javier Bardem. Oh yeah, that's right. Zendaya. Um, mm-hmm. Drax. God damn it. Oh yeah, Dave Batista. Dave Batista. Nice. Just fantastic. Stellan Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. I like a, uh, pretty much a dream cast. Oh yeah. Uh, just awesome. I recently rewatched uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine just on a whim. Mm, yeah. And like, well, I mean, I. Every time I see that movie, I am re-reminded and reconvinced and like reaffirmed my faith in it that it is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Yes. Like blanket statement. Um so just visually, I mean I'm excited to see what he does with with a sci-fi property like that. Mm-hmm. And um I mean, I'm still not going to go to the theater, so I have time to read Dune. Yeah. I still haven't done it, so, yeah. I recommend it. It's a really good book. Nice. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot on my to-read or to-listen-to pile on Audible, so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's exciting. Yeah. And uh, how many books in the Dune series have you read? I have only read the first two. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Dune and Dune Messiah. Nice. Yeah. I know Ben has listened to and read, the f- like, four of them, I think? Yeah, he may have done all of the original Frank Herbert ones. That sounds about right. I think there's four, either four or five. I can't remember. Yeah, I'm, and I've said this before, but I'm I'm nervous to read it or listen to it because I'm just nervous that it'll be too dense. Um, oh, so I, I'm I'm kind of t- like a little nervous to to read it. Anyway. Yeah, I think I think you'll be all right. Okay, I really Good. do. Uh, it it's somewhat reminiscent of the Gunslinger. In tone, like tonally, not obviously the stories are drastically different okay. and everything, but just style and tonally a little bit reminiscent of the gunslinger. Nice. I can understand like a desert kind of landscape. From, yeah. Actually, you know. I wasn't thinking of that. But just, oh, interesting. Just kind of the, I don't know, the, the narrative style. Hmm. Um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of internal, internal things, I guess. Gotcha. Going on. Yeah. Which is why, what makes it so difficult to adapt into a movie. Yeah, I can understand and, and that. Why. Have you ever seen David Lynch's movie from the 80s, dude? No, I'm I'm not a David Lynch fan, really. Yeah, I'm kind of up and down on him. I, I no. like 
several of his movies. Mm-hmm. But um, but the problem with that movie is he internal monologues he put them in the movie. Oh no! And so it's like you're sitting there watching Kyle MacLachlan look at someone. And he's having a thought, a, like a question, voiceover, a voiceover thought. Oh in his head. God! It's it does not work very well. Oh, it's no. not good. Yeah, there's that. I have a bit of a soft spot for the movie. The director's sure. cut is a pretty fluid, solid movie, and I kind of like the director's cut, but it's like three hours long. Okay. The theatrical, don't watch it. It's just wow. not. It's so. It's like a snippet of the book. It's not well done. Oof. Um, but I. I, I sort of recommend the director's cut. It's kind of okay. It's I I so I, I have a soft spot for soft spot for it, but I won't try to defend it that hard. Sure, you know? sure. <laughs> well, I'm kind of a completionist anyway, so when I get around to wanting to watch, like see the the new one, I mean, I'm sure I'm gonna probably I'm gonna probably send you a message on Facebook and then not follow <laughs> up on it um, about how oh we should do an episode where. We talk about the book, and then we talk about David Lynch's movie, and then we watch <laughs> Hodorowsky's Dune, right. and then we review Denny Villeneuve's. Um, <laughs> so yeah, look forward to that never happening. Right. Um, <laughs> by the way, I do still want to do the samurai and western movie thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll uh, tickle everyone's ears. Okay. Soon. Anyway. Um, yes. So I'm looking forward to it whenever I get around to seeing it. Mm-hmm. Do you think it'll be released in December? I think it's supposed to release in December, right? It still has a December re- release date. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious if it'll keep that. I really hope so. Yeah. I, it probably depends on how you know everything else does over the mm-hmm. next few months. Well, that's the thing. Tenet did not do well. Yeah. <laughs> like, at all. Right. Um, yeah. So Man, I don't know. Yeah. So I think it's... I don't know. It's pointless to... Uh, try to guess because it's so freaking crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's all the stuff that I had. If you want to go into the reviews, although I will Mm -hmm. say kind of not related to Dune, but something that reminded me of it. I'm really excited because today, uh, James S. A. Corey, which is the writing, the pseudonym for the... The pseudonym, yeah, yeah for uh, Ty Frank and Daniel Abraham, who write the Expanse series. Mm-hmm. Uh, they announced today the title and book cover for book nine in the Expanse series. Wow. Which is the final book in the series. Ooh, that's exciting. Yes. And I have only read the first four. Yes, the first four. Hmm. Um and I, I've watched the first season of the show, but I, I really need to get into it and just read the rest of them, watch the show, because it's a property that I really like. Like, I mm-hmm. really like this the story and the worlds and everything. Um, but it was funny. I had this, I had this reaction, because the way that they did it was they did, like, a live stream kind of thing on this website that I wasn't familiar with. That had, you had to sign in and everything. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll play along. Because they were doing like a Q&A, but I didn't listen to the Q&A because I didn't want to be spoiled. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to see the cover because the funny thing is the re- the way that I discovered the Expanse series was I was at Books A Million and I just like I was like, I want to start reading some more science fiction. And I went through the science fiction shelves and I saw like, oh, Leviathan Wakes. Oh, this cover design is really cool. <laughs> um, so like I bought it and then I was like, oh, ooh that's a lot of books in the series <laughs> and they're very, uh, quick turnaround with publishing him and I'm like, Oh, there's a show coming out. <laughs> and, yeah. Okay. I just wanted to kind of easy 
sci-fi thing. But anyway, right. Anyway, it's a really fun series and really interesting series. Um, but I, like, I was tickled because like I'm attracted to the cover design on all of the covers and everything. It's very, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and the titles for the books are like very. I don't know if it's Greek mythology or if it's some kind of mythological mythological thing or biblical references or not, but it's they don't pertain to. It's not like the drawing of the three where three people are drawn from other worlds or whatever. It's right. not the wastelands where they go through the wastelands. It's like the first one is Leviathan wakes, and then the second one is uh, Caliban's war, hmm. and then the third one is Abaddon's gate, hmm. and then Cibola burn. And yeah, anyway. Wow. So like it's all like stuff that don't doesn't pertain to the plot or anything, but I'm always kind of curious about that. And then like I was watching the video, and then they're like, "All right, so here's the here's like it had a list of like book one, book two, book three, all the way to book nine, and each one changed to the title of it. So like Leviathan Wakes, Caliban's War, all that. And then when it got to the bottom, uh, one of one of the writers was like, "All right, and uh, drum roll," and then like it revealed the title of the last book, and I was like, like I actually went. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> what is it? Leviathan Falls. Uh, and I'm like, oh, that's that's good. Nice. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but cool. that they don't have a release date yet, but um did they, they said did they do like a trilogy of trilogies? I think that that's the idea. Okay. Um yes, because the it's it's God, it's so cool. Like it, it's it's called the Expanse, and it's called the Expanse because it is expansive. Like right, right. And it's so cool because, like, the first couple of books, like, the first book is all contained to a couple of, like, places. Right. And then it just, it just blossoms out. And it's all kind of, it has, like, like, things about, like, like, first contact and, like, military kind of stuff and, like, like, bureaucratic and, and, uh, um, kind of cold war stuff that like simmering conflicts that, that are about to like heat up and everything. Um, but yeah, but each, each section or at least the first three books kind of have their own like trilogy feel. Um, and then the, at least book four is like very much like, a a new frontier kind of thing. Um, Anyway, just I freaking love the storytelling and everything. Yeah, I'm interested in it. Yeah. So anyway, I'm really excited about that. The publication isn't going to be until like sometime in 2021. So I'm, I mean, they're, you know, easy to consume because they're really engaging stories. So yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So that's exciting. So anyway, shall we get into our reviews? Yeesh. Okay. So first up. Um, we are going to do, I mean, there's not really much to spoil. So let's, let's not worry about spoilers for the social dilemma since it's a documentary. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk first about the social dilemma, which was on, uh, uh, recently released on Netflix. I will play a clip from the trailer here. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google. Twitter. Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. You get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up. And we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. 
I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Okay, so The Social Dilemma, according to IMDb, is it uh, explores the dangerous human impact of social networking with tech experts sounding the alarm on their own creations. Uh, The Social Dilemma was released on Netflix on a certain date. (laughs) Uh, God, I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Um, It was released on September 9th, 2020, again on Netflix, uh, directed by Jeff Orlowski. Um, Yeah, so Tiny, um, how did you feel about The Social Dilemma and its presentation as a documentary? And uh, what did you think of it? I really liked it a lot. I think... So I had heard Tristan Harris on like two separate podcasts. Mm -hmm. I heard him on Sam Harris's podcast and... um, Joe Rogan before. Mm-hmm. And so I was familiar with his ideas and, and, uh, the issues he was trying to draw attention to. And I found him interesting and, and I liked him on the podcast, but, um, I, I'd always had a bit of a disconnect with what his, he was trying to illuminate, if you will. Sure. Um, but I, I think this documentary really perfected it. And I think what perfected it was actually the dramatizations. Oh, Interesting. I I think. Huh. So, I'm not a fan really of dramatizations mm. in 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 documentaries. I don't think it's great. I, it's usually campy and hokey, and it's not done very well. Um, and there there was some campiness going on here. There yeah. was a little bit of campiness going on here, and it def- definitely can throw some criticism at it for that. But I think conceptually, it was really brilliant. Hmm. Um, and and I think that's what really drove home these ideas for me about how toxic this the formula of social media has gotten and how how negatively it's affecting all of us in our public discourse and mm-hmm. the way we interact with each other and how addictive it is and all that stuff it, i think the dramatization really drove it home and 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 is is the best example of what people like Tristan Harris are trying to uh, trying to warn us all about so that's that's what I really loved about the documentary and what I what I think was the most effective for me. That's really so that's really interesting. Um I I enjoyed the documentary. I, and it's kind of one of those things that I've I mean I'm I'm victim to social media. Mm, <laughs> I'm yeah. victim to just the like the uh, compulsory aspect of it and being attached to your phone like this it's something that you know a large segment of the population is is victim to and seeing it depicted or, or uh dissected the way it was in the documentary was engaging to me and did open my eyes a bit to to just like the um the kind of uh the the way that it is planned out like the the actual like the the intent of it like it is it's something that i've i've seen in uh it's it's been fictionalized in a lot of things like i think of the black mirror episode smithereens where um it it's a uh andrew scott's character goes goes kind of crazy and holds a guy hostage from um a social media thing and it's revealed like there's a reason for that and everything. And it, it has a lot to say about the kind of the role that social media does. And one of the things that stood out to me in that episode is that 
it points out that like, yes, you are designed to be addicted to this. Like it is designed right. so that you are addicted to this. And that's something that is demonstrated really well in the documentary and everything. Something that a couple of things, and we can kind of talk about it more, um, is I saw a, a critic online on Twitter, uh, had tweeted about it. It's uh, Ethan Anderton, um, from Slash Film, I think he's still there. Um, he said that uh, his kind of big gripe about it was that the documentary doesn't offer anything, like in terms of a solution or anything. It doesn't say it's it's instead just gearing us toward just terrifying us <laughs> right. into action that doesn't that it doesn't really kind of give a, give a give um a solution to the problem that it's presenting which I do think is a flaw of the documentary um that's fair but I also think it's maybe an entirely different documentary that needs to be made for it mm-hmm. um but I do I did it didn't sit that well with me that like it one of the points that it ended on is like one of the one of the people I can't remember which one it was was like oh like they they were asked like what where do you think this is going to lead like how is it going to lead and like one was like civil war um, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I, right. I can see that, but also, okay. Um, so are you going to leave us with that? Or right, do you have right. any ideas? Um, but yeah, so, so that, that kind of stood out to me when, when I read that tweet. Um, and then the other thing was just <laughs> the dramatizations just were really off putting to me. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I understand the logic of it. I understand why they chose to incorporate that into the into the documentary. And in its execution, I think it was partially successful and like it, it they did a decent job at what they were setting out to do. Basically, if you haven't seen the documentary, it has several cutaways to dramatizations with with actors. Uh, one of the the main kid uh, was in one of the Wet Hot American Summer Netflix shows. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, it's showing like, oh, the, this family that they're like all addicted to phones and everything and all that. And then it, it talks, and this is something that immediately took me out of it because they were like, oh, let's not talk about politics at the dinner table and everything. But mm-hmm. it's, it's like this super vague, like, oh, the, the extreme centrists right. are, are what's doing all of this. Extre- extreme center. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, it's, it's like they're not, like, just if they're going to have a, a, uh, and I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of struggling with this, but if they're going to have a, a stand in for our current day political climate and everything, I get not wanting to depict like actual stuff or, or be, you know, um, putting themselves in line to, to just be criticized for taking a side on a certain thing. Right, right. But it just felt so out of place and weird to me. And it just felt so, it's like they were, they were trying to make a point and then they, they made the point, but they didn't need, they didn't, in order to make the point, they didn't need to really provide any, like a, a lot of context and everything. And they didn't really need to, because it's a conduit to our like current state and everything. But as a fan of fiction storytelling, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I just need more here guys. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. That's so, that's yeah. fair. I just I felt like for for me the part of the dramatization that was the most effective was uh the personification of the algorithm which was Vincent Vincent Cardheiser. <laughs> mm-hmm. And man, he was hamming it up. Yeah, uh, the writing yeah. wasn't great, mm. but that personified and literally showed you a physical representation of how that algorithm works. And that's something that I had not understood up to that point. It's literally, it's, it's a form of AI that's manipulating you mm-hmm. and, and you can see it play out through that dramatization mm-hmm. written poorly yeah, <laughs> and, and not acted real great, but it's just the, the mechanism of it really shocked the shit out of me. Just how effective it is. That, yeah. So, okay. Th- I'm really looking forward to talking to you about this because that, <laughs> that was what took me out of the documentary even more. Really? Yeah. And, it, and it's, I think it's because it was personified. Like, I kind of, at the start, before I kind of really put together that it is just, I mean, it is personifying this algorithm thing. Like, I was disconnected from that because I'm like, okay, yes, that's how it works and everything. Like I, cause like even so, so when Mike was on the podcast months ago, he and I were talking before we were recording before anything, we were just talking with our computers uh, through Google Hangouts. And we were talking about, I think we were talking about like going out and getting food, like, like our choices now that we're, you know, staying at home and everything all the time. And I had mentioned, oh, yeah, Portillo's opened up in Avon nearby and everything. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I love Portillo's because he's from Chicago and everything. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And then like a day or two later, an ad for Portillo's popped up on my Facebook feed. Yeah. And I was like, I have not spoken about Portillo's uh, except for that. I have not Googled. I have not touched my phone in relation to anything related to Portillo's, but it heard me say Portillo's and threw that ad at me. Right. And so like, I understand how, like, I don't understand. I didn't understand how that worked, but I feel like the way that the documentary does it, it, it dumbs it down to a very like straightforward way. Having three versions of Vincent Cardheiser, Cardheiser, um, representing three different aspects of the algorithm but the way that it i don't know there was something about it that i kind of felt like i got that he was a personification of the algorithm but it also felt maybe not misleading maybe misleading isn't the right word but it felt a little bit weird that it was like that it was personified like i i because it's like they're arguing with each other and like, Oh, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's try this and everything. And it's like, I'm sure it is as sophisticated as that, but it also felt like I wish that there was like a more grounded way to show that. Cause it's, yeah, I don't know. Like the impression that I got from that was that it's saying that like, Oh, every, and this isn't, obviously this isn't the case. And maybe it's just, I wasn't, you know, buying into it as much as I probably could have, but I kind of thought like, in the back of my head, I was like, okay, so is there one individual person for every single user, <laughs> which <laughs> right. it's not the case because it's an algorithm and everything, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. Anyway, so that, that just kind of just felt like a little weird because the way that it operates, it, like it was saying like, well, he responded to this and like, it, like they were having, they were having sentient thoughts and conversations with each other. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like, I kind of feel like it's a little bit more, in real life, it's it's more 
mathematical and everything. So I right, know. yeah. I mean, it may not have been the best. I'll admit it may not have been the best uh, way to exemplify yeah. how the algorithm works, but I thought it was really effective. I mean, personification mm-hmm. is so effective, yeah, because it's person. It's in the title. It's personified. Right, it's making it human. Right, so that mm-hmm. we can understand it and relate to it and comprehend it. So I, I just, I found it really effective. Um, and I, I'm not a huge fan of Vincent Kardheiser as a, as an actor. Oh yeah. I mean, just watching him for years on Mad Men and mm-hmm. stuff, I was like, I, you know, his character was a little sniveling shit on that show. Right. So it didn't help, but, um, he, he's okay as an actor, but I, I think he was, he was fairly hammy in this. It was so hammy. Yeah, it was, I, it was bad. But I mean, I, I, I respected and understood the message of it and everything. Yeah. I just, I kind of felt like it was a little bit too, too dumbed down for it. Like, I wish it was a mm-hmm. little bit more, uh, I don't know. I wish that there was a little bit more to it than than that. Hmm, okay. I don't know. That's just my take. So. Yeah, I really liked that part. Nice. Uh, and, uh, but the, the the family that they had and the dramatization on mm-hmm. the on the other side of it that was there was a lot of hamminess there too. Oh, uh, the, the the part that just I was like, okay. I really hope that it's the same part that I'm thinking of right now. But go ahead. It, it was the, the dinner scene where she locks mm-hmm. up all the phones, and the youngest daughter goes and breaks them. <laughs> Just open. suddenly break. Like what? Yeah, I was like, okay, that's. And you know, I think what what was interesting about that is that all of these, all of those characters, right? The parents and then the three children mm-hmm. are all. It, it's sort of like four generations kind of coming together and i think you and i fall into the generation of the the boy and then the oldest Mm. the oldest daughter we're kind of right in that area yeah and so it's i think it's entirely possible that there are members you know gen Gen zers out there who are far more addicted and connected to their phones than we are Mm -hmm. and maybe they're I'm sure there are kids out there who would steal their phones away from their parents if their yeah. parents took them away. And I'm, I'm sure there, there are extremes, extreme situations of that where kids would want to break open that container and get their right. phones out. But my problem with it was like, how, how are the parents that shitty? Yeah. <laughs> They're just like, yeah. get the fuck away from your phone. Right. When they should have said, sit your ass down and eat your food. Yeah. Like be a parent in that yes. moment. That's what took me out of that moment and I thought was ridiculous. Me too. And it was too instantaneous. It was like, they sat down and then she's like, I'm just going to look at the phone. And then like, and I mean, I think this is deliberate, but like she's walking toward it like a zombie and she just, and then we get the sudden break. Like it just felt like just so hokey and weird. It did. did. Like if you're going to do something that's a metaphor or if you're going to dramatize like real life situations or, or make a dramatic statement through dramatization, of the dependence of social media and, and cell phones and everything like you can do that, but do that in a way that isn't so heightened and so hokey and weird. Like I've seen comparisons of it made to like after school specials, which yeah. it so is like it is. I, I would almost say that it undercuts the message of the documentary because mm. when you see that, when you see the youngest daughter get up and just break the glass and everything, it's like, okay, fine (laughs) whatever but like you have like uh, separate from that in the talking heads and everything they talk about how gen z is like they're they're the first generation that is going through middle school with social media 
and they talk about like the statistics of like depression and anxiety and suicide rates and and like serious stuff like that it's like lead with that like right. handle that like put the spotlight on that you don't need to have this hokey hammy like awkward ass like dramatization when you have statistics and like talking points that are relevant to the viewer like again it kind of comes across as a, a little bit of a dumbing down effect where like even worse than my experience watching the uh, Vincent Carthizer yeah i was at Carthizer i don't Carthizer um segments like it's 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 a little bit um what's there's a word i'm i'm looking for um not condescending but it's a little pandering it's a, it's a little bit pandering to me, and I kind of wish that there was more effort put into that, or if it was excised and and just you know using because it's not based in any fact; it's fictionalized and everything. It's just a broad kind of thing. Like I I don't know. I just I wish that they had used that less and used the actual data that they had and talking points uh, as uh, as in a more conventional documentary. Okay. So yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I do, and I, I, the criticism you talked about earlier where uh, they didn't offer answers, like, I, mm-hmm. I kind of agree with that. And it's it's sort of interesting because I think Tristan Harris is like, has formed an organization about like ethical, yeah. ethical social media or something like that. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like he didn't really get a chance to, to really explore that platform at all. Right. Um, but at the very end, they did say, you know, take these steps, but it was sort of tacked on at the end. Yeah, it was. Um, for, for me, I think one of the linchpins of the, of this is the push notifications. Oh um, yeah. I do not, I use zero push notifications. Oh really? I cannot stand them. Um, the only push notifications I get on my phone are text messages and phone calls. That's it. Oh, I'm going to start texting you then. <laughs> um, no, yeah, that's I, real. I might do the same. I just can't stand. I've, I've never been able, they've just annoy me. Like my phone, oh, yeah. my pocket constantly vibrating. Mm. I tried them with like messenger and, and some, a few other things. And it was just constantly going off and driving me nuts because I wanted to check my phone every two minutes. Yeah. And that, like, I can understand how a person would become addicted to that and want to do that, but mm. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So I shut that shit off really quickly. Interesting. And I, I cannot stand... I mean, I guess the only other thing that I would... I, I don't know if I consider it a push notification would be my... We have one of the ring doorbells. Oh, yeah. And we have a um, <laughs> we have a Simply Safe security system in our house okay that would alert my phone but that's not <laughs> that's a little bit different <laughs> yeah um, true um so my mom has one of those yeah and both my mom and my sister for i don't know if it's still a thing but they did not know how or did not want to know how uh to turn on the volume on those notifications oh god and so like i remember one day i was driving my mom this is like pre-COVID-19, mm-hmm. I was driving my mom to breakfast with my brother and his then fiance, now wife, mm-hmm. um, and just this bugged me too. Uh, my brother chose to go to a Cracker Barrel that is way out of the way from where we live, uh, <laughs> so he wanted to go to the Plainfield one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we live in Speedway. Uh, he lives in Brownsburg. Anyway, uh, anyway, so uh, I had a very, uh, like a relatively lengthy lengthy drive with my mom Mm -hmm. and like every five seconds something was like going across the sensor and everything and it's like it's it's a loud ring yeah 
And I'm like, you have to do something. Yes. You have to. And my mom is a little bit of a Luddite. So like she could not, she did not know how. And like, right. it's one of those things that you, like it, it does not, the volume of the phone does not affect the volume of the, the app. Oh. So like she had to go into the app at breakfast and do it. And I'm just like, think, 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 think Christ. I had a similar experience because, hmm. um, my wife gets, she's much more invested in Instagram as a social media, as opposed okay. to any other platform. Mm-hmm. That's her platform of choice if you will sure so she has notifications turned on for instant messenger for the messenger service on instagram okay and that goes off all the time and that drives me nuts okay and then when we first got our 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 ring doorbell she had she had it notify her of every of every motion which i think is probably what your mom was doing every time there was motion Mm -hmm. and we have a flag out front of our house oh yeah and lots of plants and foliage so that thing was going off every five fucking minutes Mm -hmm. and i was like turn that the fuck off (laughs) because you're not doing anything with that Mm -hmm. information you know it's not an actual person Mm -hmm. you know it's not picking up usable uh, it's not picking up. You're not using that information at all, right? It's, it's not an actual event that you need to know about, mm-hmm. right? Um, and she was like, "Well, no, because like, what if, what if there actually is someone out on the front porch?" And I'm mm-hmm. like, "But you don't check your phone when it goes off." Oh yeah, like because it goes off. So it's like the boy who cried wolf. That's what's happening. Your phone's crying wolf, and it's crying it so much that you're right. ignoring it because I was like, you're not doing anything with the information. So finally, <laughs> I I forced like I, I I forced her to make a change because nice. I took the motion and I took the motion setting and turned it all the way down so that it basically <laughs> wouldn't pick up motion anymore. And she's like, yeah, my phone hasn't been going off lately. And I was like, it's because I turned the motion off. She's like, why'd you do that? I was like, because you wouldn't turn the fucking notification off your fucking phone. God damn it! It was pissing me off. I could wow. not stand it. I basically forced her to, and to to be honest, I'm she kind of wears the pants in our relationship on almost okay. in almost every aspect of. I am totally just like okay, fine, we'll okay. do this, whatever. But when it came to that, I was like, we're not fucking doing this. You're mm-hmm. turning, you are turning that off. You are going to do that. I was like, when it picks up motion, it creates a recording, mm. so you can just go in at the end of the day and or in the morning and look to see if there's any recordings for the moment. Right. Like, you don't need to be fucking notified. <laughs> Oh my god! It just drove me nuts. I could not stand it. I don't want to get married. <laughs> <laughs> well, she finally turned it off, and she yeah. she has her phone I, on silent a lot of times. Oh so. yeah, I should amend that. I never want to live with someone. <laughs> <laughs> I get that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's funny. Like I like I'm in a group chat with Molly Neri, my friends Molly Neri, and. I mean, I stopped the notifications on that because, like, they'll talk. They've they've been having conversations on that, mm. but I don't have the um the notification tag on the, on the app. Okay. So and and everything. So like, it has a count of how many notifications I have. In the time that we've been sitting here, uh, ninety one messages on oh Red on there. Jesus. Yeah. I do have the tag on the okay on the apps. I do have that, but I don't do banners or push notifications. Nice. I don't do any of that. I might I might have to try that or something because yeah. it's like because I get a lot of emails and and right. messages and stuff. So I have my email yeah. set up to only to only to only put the tag on there at the end of the day or something like that. Oh, interesting. So I only check my email at the end of the day. That's it. Once a day. You know what's funny. I have mine to to sync every like uh, like 
it's supposed to be, I think, instantaneously and everything. Probably oh, really? terrible for my battery. <laughs> but what I've noticed, and now having watched the documentary, I wonder if this is the algorithm, but <laughs> like Google, Google's algorithm. But sometimes, like if I'm not on Wi-Fi or I just connect to Wi-Fi for the first time, like if I come home from work and I connect back to the Wi-Fi or what have you, um, or weirdly enough, whenever I plug in my phone, I will get not bombarded, but I will get like, it's like it's held back notifications of emails. Interesting. And like, I'll get like three emails that were received like in the afternoon. Mm. And I'm sure that there's some kind of setting or something, but I kind of wonder if that's like a thing where it's like, okay, the algorithm knows like, okay, when he plugs in his phone at this time, that usually means like, okay, he's settling in. That's when he checks his phone more frequently. Right. Maybe we'll hold back the notifications until then mm-hmm. to have more traffic. I don't know. Right. I don't know. It's Could all be. weird. Yeah. But the other aspect of the documentary that it that I really connected to was the conspiracy theory stuff and how yeah. it creates, like social media creates this bubble that you live in. Mm-hmm. And I really like that they talked about like the QAnon stuff and Pizzagate right. um, and everything as well. But I just, I really like the way that it framed that aspect of it because we do live in these bubbles that are not necessarily bubbles of our own creation on social media. Right. But it is like it is feeding. It's this. Um, um, I I almost want to say perpetual motion machine, but that's not the right word. But like it's this. It's this never ending kind of cycle of. It's a reality. Yeah, yeah. It's creating a false reality for you. It's an individual reality. There's a billion people on Facebook, and there's a billion individual realities mm-hmm. for that specific person, and you don't create it yourself. Yeah. It's presented to you based on what they want you to see. Yep. And the they of that, every single individual person has their own madman actor. Right. Madman actor at the helm of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, God. I have the guy who got run over by the lawnmower. <laughs> um, nice guy. Nicest guy. <laughs> um, but anyway. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it is it is very much a bubble thing. And that, that right. is what I think is in the context of this, of this documentary, I think that that's why we are, that's one of the, one of the reasons why we're experiencing this time where people have become susceptible to persuasion on such a mass scale. And that's something that the documentary talks about. And to its credit, it talks about it very well about how people create these these illusions of like okay the thing that is in opposition to them is not reality and they ne- they do not want to entertain the thought of something else that combats their own reality right so i don't know it's it's frustrating as fuck well so as in it's sort of in line with this documentary i kind of did like a unofficial trilogy thing where I, so I watched this and then I also watched another documentary. I I watched the social network, which I hadn't watched in years. I I saw that you checked into that. How does that hold up for you? Oh, fucking great. Nice. It doesn't hurt that it's, uh, you know, a Sorkin movie. Right. Directed by David Fincher. Right. Um, and has a great cast and all that stuff. Mm. You know, I, I, as a movie, I love it, but I also, I hadn't seen it probably in a good six, seven years, you know. That's, and this might be a tangent, and I, I hate to interrupt you, but does mm-hmm. it, does your, uh, did this viewing of it, was that, 
was your perception of the movie or your reaction to the movie altered in any way after the, like the Cambridge Analytica stuff and the, the Zuckerberg Congress stuff or whatever? A, l- a little bit. You know, the okay. movie's not about that, really. It's not, yeah. Um, but th- there's an interesting line. Well, it's a line um, that's said by the character of Sean Parker in the movie, Justin mm. Timberlake, where he's... It's where it's the cocaine scene where they're doing, he's doing coke at that after party. Oh, yeah. And he's, he's like, you know, first we lived on farms, then we moved oh, to right. cities, and now we're going to live on the internet. And yes. he's in a right, in a way, he's right. Mm. We, we do, we do, and I think it's only going to expand from here. But, mm-hmm. um, I, what, so what I remember about that movie back when it came out, um, I remember, I remember loving it. And so, uh, the, the, my artist side of it, of myself loved it and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But I remember being a little bit embarrassed as, as a member of that generation. Oh yeah. Because I feel like all those people, most of the people in the movie are pretty, not, not very likable kind of, right. kind of bad actors and, and, and not, and not saying the acting is bad. I'm saying they're just kind of bad, bad agents, bad agents. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and, it's it's I think it's it's sort of representative of being a young dick, mm-hmm. a young uh, millennial. You know uh, that I, I remember like my parents watched it and I was like, yeah, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to be a millennial when I see mm. the way they all acted and 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 what they chose to do with their lives and how self centered and and terrible all those people were and. My mom kind of saved it for me. She was like, yeah, well, they're also a bunch of rich elite assholes, too. Remember that? A bunch of rich Harvard dicks. I was like, that's true. But <laughs> Did your mom say those exact words? No, no but okay. that's, in, in a way, she was like, remember, it's at like, Harvard. And I don't know. I can't really. I'm like, I just tried to imagine your mom saying a bunch of rich Harvard dicks. <laughs> no, she, wouldn't, she didn't say those exact words. A bunch words, of douchebags. <laughs> um, but watching it now, I was like, you know, I don't necessarily feel differently, but... Mm-hmm. Now we have Gen Z, yeah, which didn't exist in 2010 when they moved. Right. Well, they existed, but mm-hmm. I don't think there was the moniker of Gen Z existed in 2010. I don't think so either. Um, but now that's sort of a uh, a classification that we can kind of put people into. You know, I guess yeah, labels are wrong and all that. I understand that, but you know, we've created these boxes, and that box exists now, and. Compared to Gen Z, I'm not as embarrassed by what we did as millennials, <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not one of those. I'm not a big fan of like judging people and shitting on people because of when they were born. That's bullshit. Right? Yeah. Like, I, that's stupid. I don't understand. I and it's always going to be a thing. There's always going to be old people who are saying, "Oh, this young generation." They've literally human beings have been saying that since human beings existed. Like it's. It's not a real thing. It's just that you're getting older and cynical and right. they're young and optimistic and think they're invincible and you're trying to deal with your death. And that's what, you know, that's that's always going to be a part of culture. Right. And so I think that argument's bullshit, but still, I'm starting to feel it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like, what the fuck fucking Gen Z kids? Jesus right. Christ. You know. Oh, we'll talk about some stuff in the babysitter stuff. Yes. Yes, we <laughs> yeah. will. Yes. yes. That is a great, kind of a good segue, really. Yes. Uh, um, I do want to mention just real quick, and I've, we've talked about it in the podcast, I'm sure, but the... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the thing that went viral where it's a bunch of like, uh, like the tweet was, I'm awake at 3 a.m. and I just want everyone to know that what Gen Z says about millennials on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's just a bunch of like Gen Z kids. Um, 
<laughs> just ripping on millennials. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. Yeah. I've seen a lot of it on I'm going to rapid fire a few of them just for shits and giggles. Um, they be 34 talking about, I'm a Hufflepuff. Like, grow up and do a line of coke already. <laughs> <laughs> and they say, doggo. Or that BuzzFeed knows their favorite wine. <laughs> and then, quote, just going to drink my coffee, blah. <laughs> <laughs> or people that still say adulting. <laughs> oh my god. Millennials will attack you if you disrespect their Harry Potter house. <laughs> they're worried their Harry Potter house they're they're worried about their Harry Potter house, but they live in a one bedroom apartment. Y'all worried about the wrong houses. <laughs> <laughs> no one. Uh no one blank. Millennials, I'm such a Hufflepuff. <laughs> oh my god. I find it insulting I'm not old. Um uh, and they always they always say they have uh, okay, um, they're really uh, on the on the whole thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it's funny that I, I I'm on TikTok a lot. I, it's, oh, really? It's, I mean, I'm for me since we're talking about, it, I think my addiction is on Facebook more than anything. But okay, I'm becoming a big fan of TikTok. Um, I I haven't even like I don't down I haven't downloaded. It's, it's I, fun. I mean, I see a lot of videos, but yeah. Um, yeah. But anyways, uh, it's funny that like I'm the old person on TikTok. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that's how <laughs> mm-hmm. that's just how how center centered it is on the even younger crowd, the younger demographic. Um, but the other, so the other movie of the trilogy that I didn't get to yet was oh, um, yeah. uh, a documentary called the The Great Hack. Yes, uh, which okay. Came out last year, which is about the Cambridge Analytica thing. Okay, which I, I gotcha. knew I knew very little about. I, I really knew hardly anything about it. But uh, I think you might prefer that. There's no mm-hmm. dramatization. So. Oh, thank God. Yeah, don't worry about that. But it's okay. Let me ask you this question. Okay. There's no dramatization, but is there any scene of a person clacking away on a keyboard and then looking up and saying, "I'm in." <laughs> Um, there is not. Damn it. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, so anyway, so go ahead. Sorry, but that's that is a very damning and revealing documentary as well. Interesting. Um, just the Cambridge Analytica thing was really shocking about what they've basically admitted to doing uh, wow. over the last several years uh, when it comes to elections. Okay, it's pretty pretty amazing. Um, but it all has to do with aiming social media at people to in, right. to influence and manipulate them mm-hmm. um to basically kind of steal elections you know yeah. um and and what what I'm still foggy on is the legality of it okay. and, and whether or not you can really call it cheating in the documentary they do several of the characters the people in the documentary mm-hmm. say that it is it should be considered cheating it should be election fraud mm-hmm. and all that i'm i'm still a little foggy on that because at the end of the day, people have a fucking choice, you know, yeah. to, to believe it or not. But um, it's still manipulation. Okay. D- yeah. Let me ask you this. And this is going to be probably an, like more hypothetical or, or more rhetorical question. Do you feel that you personally, like your individual self, your perception and perspective on like the election for example, mm-hmm. do you believe that the choice that you've made in terms of candidates you support and everything, do you feel like you have come to that opinion organically or do you, can you, do you have a sense that you've been pushed that way or you have any type of been like a person who has been manipulated into that line of thinking to an extent? 
Man, that's a tough question to answer. Mm-hmm. And I think no one wants to feel like they've been duped, you know? Right. Um, but I, I think maybe Go there was... Go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe there was some of that because Obama used Cambridge Analytica. Mm-hmm. Um, and I totally, totally, I don't want to say fell for that or drank the Kool-Aid on that, mm-hmm. but I really... Uh, vehemently voted for Obama in 2008. Yeah. Uh, but by 2012, I, I voted for Romney in 2012. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I still think Romney would make a great president. Um, but I, I, I probably have felt, fell prey to some manipulative information before on, on, mm-hmm. on, uh, social media. You know, I can't. And the thing is, like, you know, I, all this conspiracy theory shit, like the Pizzagate stuff and oh all this God, yeah. pedophile stuff, like, mm-hmm. I've looked at some of it, like I've looked at some of the QAnon shit, but it's just like I don't, I don't, I can't believe that. I can't just take yeah. all that shit at face value. You got to give me some hard evidence, or you know, yeah. I can't do that. So I, I know that stuff has been aimed at me before, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, I can't definitively, definitively say that I've thwarted all that or that mm-hmm. I've uh, repelled all of that manipulation because I've chances are I've probably felt fell fallen victim to some of it before I if I'm being honest yeah I, I can definitely understand that and I I don't know if I can say for certain like I've been conscious of anything like that mm-hmm. because I I'm someone who like I voted for Obama in 08 and 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, that was at a time where I didn't really, I wouldn't say I didn't care, but it was more that I was not as plugged into political conversations. Right. You really weren't. I really was. I'm, yeah. I was extremely apathetic to everything. Right. Um, because of the discourse and everything. Mm-hmm. But now, and I can't remember if we said this on Patreon or not, but, but now, We've reached a point where there is demonstra- uh, demonstrably false claims mm-hmm. and extraordinary, extraordinarily, um, there's an extraordinary amount of people that are just not accepting fact. Right. Like, and it's not necessarily that. Uh, it's not necess- it's, it's not a thing where it's, where it's like, okay, well, you are blind, like, I'm blind to any, any good thing that Trump does, um, while these other people are blind to any good thing that Biden does, or right. bad thing that Trump does, or bad thing that Biden does on my, on, on, like, my part. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of Biden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not enthused, but I'll vote for him because I, the, things that i have come across in my universe on social media and going through and looking looking at facts and recordings and audio and video of trump himself i know that he is not the candidate that i want to cast my vote toward right but there is a segment of the population that hopefully oversleeps on november 3rd <laughs> that they are unwilling to even engage in a discussion or react like they, they're just willfully just ignoring points made against their side. Mm -hmm. And like, that is what has made me more interested in 
talking about this stuff on like social media and stuff. Right. Like I, I don't think I, cause I, I mean, I, I posted here and there. I don't, th- do I come across as a dick? <laughs> um, uh, no, but you're much more vocal than you ever used to be. Okay. Yeah. That's, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I try not to sound like a dick or anything, but like, it's kind of hard when you have right. people like, like, I mean, it got to a point with, with one of the, uh, one of the threads where one of the, a, a guy we went to high school with is, sucked into the QAnon stuff Mm -hmm. and like he like i i had said like hey you post a lot like his his argument against the trump calling uh dead and wounded soldiers losers and suckers saying that oh you'll believe that's anonymous those are anonymous sources like you can't believe everything you read or whatever you've been duped and it's like okay first of all it's a piece of journalism Mm-hmm. That his that is cited like journalists do not are not uh, like required to give their sources. Deep Throat was an anonymous source for decades, mm-hmm. and it's not the same as an internet message board. It's not the same as a social media post saying like, "Oh, uh, Tiny stole twenty thousand dollars from me." Right now, that's fact. Like it is a sourced piece of journalistic uh, source piece published in a journalistic outlet. That is that has like lawyers behind it, and like right. it has like like legal obligations to tell the truth. And if CNN is wrong, they get sued to the fucking nines. exactly. Yeah. Yes, and and then like I made the mention, like, and your entire timeline on your Facebook is about the QAnon conspiracy, right? That literally got its start on an anonymous message board. <laughs> Like that is the literal like it is it was on 4chan that is mm-hmm. the anon is anonymous like right. like I don't understand the disconnect and like when you engage with people that are that um uh that that are that stringent or or strong in their convictions or their opinions about things like they don't respond to that like right. like he even said. Uh, go on my timeline. And t- like, tell me what is an ex- what is a conspiracy theory? And like, I went through and I was like, I literally like, I can barely make sense of your timeline. Yeah, and everything. And like, I started to do that. I was like, I don't have time for this. Like, it's right. just it's a losing game. It's exhausting. Yeah. And then he said again, like he followed up on that the, like the next day because it was a multi day thing on Facebook. And he was like, you still haven't said anything, uh, anything about that. And like, this is after I had said, like, you haven't, cause he said that Trump is going to win in the biggest landslide ever recorded. <laughs> and he talked about how Trump is like, he talked about a bunch of stuff. And so like people were asking him like, what, what is your re- reasoning for that? Like, what, what are you seeing that makes you think it's going to be a landslide? And his response was, you would not believe me if I told you. <laughs> and then he had asked me again, like, you still haven't said anything about the, about the conspiracy theory. So like, I was like, all right, fine. I went to his timeline, picked like four or five things, mm-hmm. screenshot them <laughs> and post because and posted them on there. And like, like each one was like, this is a conspiracy theory because it is just putting together a bunch of like random things and presenting them in a way that is implying that there's a connection, but there's no hard evidence that there's any connection whatsoever. Like right. that's why this is a conspiracy theory. And then he didn't end up responding to that or anything. And this all came from a, a kind of tangent in that thread where, um, cause I, I had mentioned like, well, right up top, one of the first things you have on your timeline is a, uh, a screenshot or, or it's a, it's a post about, the CDC's 
um, report saying that 6% of people who uh, have died from COVID have died from only COVID. Mm, right. And like the post he shared talked about how like, oh, only the, the, the CDC are lying and only 6%, the death rate is only 6% of all people infected with it. And then like he had shared that post and called it a pandemic and everything. And I was like, this is patently false because it is ignoring the comorbid comorbidity part of it. Mm-hmm. I had shared links with him saying like explaining why that 6% stat does not mean 6% of people with COVID die of COVID. It means that 6% of people with COVID die from COVID itself. Like there are uh, like asphyxiation and like other things to put on a death certificate. It is like people with underlying things. And one of of the things I didn't share in the thread, but it had like, um, it talked about 9-11 and said like, uh, 2,907 people died in the 9-11 terrorist attacks. But if only 6% had like, but, uh, but 94% of them had underlying things. So really only like 200 people died on 9-11. <laughs> this is how you sound. Right. Um, so anyway, so all that came from, and it's like, and it's still like, it's not like it's changing any minds. Like his mind wasn't changed, but it's just, it's, it's just frustrating. I don't know. Yeah. If you follow the same logic that he's, pointing at uh mm. no one has ever died from aids yeah yeah and ev- like in yeah. <laughs> that is and it's just regurg a lot of people are just regurgitating regurgitating talking points in mm-hmm. everything like well and they're interpreting <sighs> they're interpreting data that they have no business interpreting y- exactly because they have no training in the field right like like i got into a thing with some dude uh that we used to go to high school with also mm-hmm. on facebook and he said, "Look, he was like, look, I, I I live in Houston. I know about hurricanes. I was I used a hurricane as an analogy, and mm. he was like, I I live in Houston. I know about hurricanes, and I have a an emergency emergency management degree. I was like, okay, I will defer to you on points regarding right. regarding hurricanes because you know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, you don't know shit about interpreting statistics from the CDC. Exactly. You don't have a medical degree. You're not a medical doctor. You've never written a death certificate before. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. You know, that's." That's kind of where we're at. Yeah. And he yeah. had said some... What else, what else did he say that I responded to that really bugged me? Oh, he said that President Trump did not lie. Right. Um, and I was like, yeah, he, he absolutely lied. Mm-hmm. And then he also used the example of Bush not immediately getting up and, and, and uh, talking... Like, when he got word of 9-11 and kept reading to the kids right. as a point of, like, strength in his character right. and stuff. It's like, do you not do you not realize that he was criticized for that for years right (laughs) the entire rest of his presidency that was a big talking point of criticism that Mm -hmm. he didn't know how to like he just like i don't know anyway this went off the rails the social dilemma do you recommend this documentary i do i'm curious because i really want to know how other people reacted to it because you and Mm -hmm. i have kind of different reactions to it well yeah pretty pretty drastically different reactions Mm -hmm. to it um uh but i i totally I totally get what you're saying, and I, mm-hmm. I your your criticisms are absolutely valid. I completely understand them. I just reacted differently to mm-hmm. to those things, um, and I'm curious how how others reacted. Um, I should like I kind of want to read some reviews on it and see if. Nice. I mean, I I think objectively the the traumatizations are hammy and yeah. and campy and shit like that, mm-hmm. and, and that 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 can definitely uh, that that's worthy of criticism for sure. Um, yeah, I know. Um, 
one of our listeners, Andy, uh, he'd commented on um, a Facebook post I made and said, like, I was wondering if you'd watched uh, The Social Dilemma because I had referenced The Social Dilemma. So, um, Andy, let, let us know what you thought of it and everything. Mm-hmm. And anyone else who has watched the documentary. Please do. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to kind of round out this episode <laughs> with mm-hmm. a probably brief review of The Babysitter Killer Queen. Um, we'll go non-spoiler, spoiler, and everything. So to break that up, we're going to go ahead and play a clip from the... Tr- Excuse me. A clip from the trailer for The Babysitter Killer Queen. Growing up is worse than a near-death experience. I can confidently tell you that. Because two years ago, my babysitter and her friends tried to kill me. The worst part is nobody believes me. And now everybody thinks I'm crazy, but I miss her. You're a weird little dude with a crush on a murderous, fictitious babysitter. We just got to get you laid. That's your advice? That's what the f*** just came out of my mouth, ain't Nicole, you're my best friend. You're not crazy. It's this place. We're all going to the lake this weekend. Just come with me. I already took my dad's car. All right, so uh, The Babysitter, Killer Queen, it is a sequel to the 2017, I think? 2017, yeah. 2017 uh, horror comedy movie, The Babysitter, uh, directed by Mick G. The Babysitter, Killer Queen, according to IMDb, is two years after Cole survived a satanic blood cult, he's living another nightmare, high school, and the demons from his past still making his life hell. Uh, The Babysitter, Killer Queen was released on Netflix on... Um, September 10th, 2020. Uh, so last Thursday and it is directed by Mick G written by, this is always a good sign, uh, written by four screenwriters, Dan Lagana, Brad Morris, Jimmy Warden, and Mick G. It stars Judah Lewis as Cole, um, Jenna Ortega as Phoebe, Emily Alan Lind as Melanie and some other people. Uh, some people reprising the roles, including Robbie Amell, Bella Thorne, Hannah May Lee, Ken Marino, and Leslie Bibb. So, Tiny, I remember um, back in 2017, you had talked about seeing The Babysitter, watching The Babysitter, kind of, if memory serves, you kind of watched it on a whim and you mm-hmm. enjoyed it um, and everything. And, and I did. Yeah, and on that recommendation, I, I watched it myself at the time, and I thought it was okay. Okay. Um, so, Tiny, how did you feel about the original? Like, if, if you want to expound on that, and how, well, what were your anticipation, what was your anticipation going into Killer Queen, and how did you feel about it in broad, non-spoiler terms? I think the original, what stuck out to me so much that I related to, I, I related so much to the first act of that movie. Mm-hmm. I had a huge crush on one of my one of my babysitters when I was a kid. Nice. And Samara Weaving just like totally embodied that you know perfect crush fantasy kind of girl. Yes. Just totally embodied that perfectly. Um, and it, it was great writing, great acting on her on her behalf, and uh, how smitten that kid was with her mm. i just related to that really hardcore and i thought that was a fun a fun thing to inject into a horror movie mm-hmm. um so that was one of my favorite parts of that and i feel like the um it had sort of an like an 80s slasher vintage horror uh feel to it that it was kind of playing with it wasn't mm-hmm. doing a direct it was sort of an homage in a way but it was kind of a send-up of that in a way i guess yeah it it, it didn't take itself too seriously um, but it was still, it's, it still was a horror movie that had some 
tr- s- some genuinely scary parts to it and stuff like sure. that. Sure, yeah. Um, and I, I just thought it was a fun movie. I liked it. Um, but this one <laughs> drove way past the finish line um, yeah. in regards to not taking itself too seriously. It's mm-hmm. This was like a straight-up comedy that was masquerading with horror elements. Yeah. Um, and it was like a shitty comedy right um it all all of basically all of the charm of the first one was mm. gone like just just gone yes in yeah. it, it so okay yeah so i i rewatched the original today before i watched this the second one and just to echo your sentiments yeah that first act is the main selling point for that first movie <laughs> yeah and something that i really appreciate about it is like you said, it is the perfect embodiment of that like babysitter crush kind of coming of age thing. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it is that the movie doesn't overtly sexualize Samara Weaving in any way, really. Right. It like the attraction and the kind of the charm of that character and that character dynamic is based almost one hundred percent on just the personality and how yes just out of this world cool and um he's not just ogling her boobs ex- exactly right. he does ogle her boobs once well yeah but, but how can you not i mean yeah but <laughs> that's but, not what it's about it's just, it's just funny that you use that example <laughs> but um he's not just ogling her exactly boobs. But it it is one of those things where it's like this he's established as this outcast. He's someone who isn't really he's awkward and, and shy and he doesn't really have that many friends and like he's this vulner there's this vulnerability to his character that Samara Weaving's character in in her performance latches onto and br- like it is you can see her bringing him out of his shell and it is just this genuine like like friendship between them. And it is this, it, it, it's beautiful. Like it's really well done. Yeah. Um, and like, I was watching it again today and I was just like, I mean, how can you not just like fall in love with Samara weaving and just want to hang out with her? Yeah. <laughs> like she's like the coolest person on the planet in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I, and, and I love that because it is from, the perspective of the kid and like that's that is his like it is a it's a great demonstration of that and and uh and demonstration of of his kind of uh feelings toward her and everything mm-hmm. and then once it gets into kind of the satanic cult stuff it's like it's a fun action comedy kind of thing in somewhat right. in the vein of like um Tucker and Dale, Dale versus evil yeah, yeah um i don't think it really ever reaches like that level of like goodness quality yeah quality <laughs> but um i will say that like in 2017 when i watched it or 2018 whenever i watched it um i rated it two and a half stars and i bumped it up to three stars today because i was like this is it's it's more enjoyable than i than i probably gave it credit for then having said that <laughs> um, i sent you a message during um while i was about uh an hour into the babysitter killer queen. Uh, cause we were finalizing our plans for the podcast, I think. And like my message was, by the way, I have 30 minutes left in the babysitter too. And as a little sneak peek, a little sneak peek to our conversation about it. I'm sorry. I made you watch it. <laughs> like I just really 
I really disliked this movie. Yeah, this movie was off the rails. Yes. In a bad, bad way. In a very, very bad way. Yeah. It, so, and then my letterbox check-in, I'm, I was really proud of it. Just This can be kind of the jumping-off point for the review, I guess. These are actual lines, paraphrased, from the babysitter killer queen. <laughs> um, someone says to another character, why, as in, like, why are you doing this? And their response is, you know, I always wanted to be an influencer. Yeah. Okay. And then on another point, another character says, first Travis Scott and Kylie Jenner break up, and now this? <laughs> um, and the, the thing that he is referencing is not comparable to the, to the other thing that he's referencing. Not so much. No. And then another line is uh, a character saying, come on, TikTok, you guys, let's go. And then another character pulling a cell phone out and saying, oh, you want to record this? <laughs> and then the first person saying, no, not the app. <sighs> and then the last example is... <sighs> you know my dyslexia acts up when I'm stressed. For this sign-up did not I. God. Which I... That's just bad. I mean... That is... It's not clever. It's not clever in... Correct me if I'm wrong. That's not how dyslexia works. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's a, an entirely different disorder of right. some kind. Right. Um, that's just shitty writing. Yes. And so, fuck, I really hated this movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, think, I'm trying to think of the only things I really liked about it were mm. uh, Judah Lewis as Cole. I kind of liked his characterization a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I think he's a solid actor, and he was fine. Um, and then Jenna Ortega as Phoebe. She mm-hmm. had very little to work with yeah uh, but she i think she's probably a pretty good actress I'd, I'd be curious to see her in something else i think she d- she did a good job yeah however the writing like you writing said was, was bad horrible just like bad. in tonally weird like you said it it crosses the finish line and drives way past it from the tones of the first movie right and it's like it's throwing so many things like those lines that i read belong in like a like disaster movie type parody like like superhero movie or disaster movie or scary movie nine yeah right like it is that kind of hacky just awkward ass non humor mm-hmm. <laughs> but also like the the weird juxtaposition of different like tonal shifts in it so like the character of phoebe has this tragic backstory that's hinted at throughout it when it's revealed it's like oh oh we're this is like really heavy stuff (laughs) yeah like we're like we're just we're watching a bunch of fun like over the top but not gratuitous but um fun campy like um violence and then suddenly we have this just huge anvil dropped on us yeah that's like this is too serious Mm -hmm. um and then the acting is just kind of atrocious all around for the yeah. most part. I, I still think the Judah Lewis kid was he, he, I still think he was pretty good. good. Yeah. He and he and uh and and the girl playing Phoebe were good. Yeah. Um also I will say that the um oh god what is it's the the girl playing Melanie Emily Allen Lind. Yes, who was she was great in Doctor Sleep. Yes, Snakebite Andy. But she, I think again, she had nothing to work with on this it, movie. And it's and it's weird. Well, I won't give it this away or anything. But, um, but yeah, it's just it's it's so it's it's just so weird and and her character was supposed to kind of take up the mantle of the kind of the crush for the main right and 
completely missed the mark. In my oh, opinion, yeah. the chem- chemistry was absent. I will say in I will opinion. agree with that for the most part. But I'm not blaming her. I think it was the right. Right. And the, the things that they do with that character just feels just really like they didn't have a good. Honestly, it kind of felt like they were like, oh, she did a really good job as a kind of as a certain type of character in Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. So let's let's rework like what her character was all about in the first movie and yeah. redo it, like do something interesting with, well, interesting in, Ital- in italics, <laughs> but it's, and it just felt like real, like when, when the turn, like, cause it follows, it also does the thing that I hate in sequels. <laughs> the first like 15, 10, 15 minutes is like just redoing scenes from the first movie. Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I hate that. I just, it's it's I I really really don't like that in sequels. Yeah. But which is weird because I really like Back to the Future Part Two, which that whole movie is just redoing stuff <laughs> from the first movie. Right. But anyway, um, yeah. When, when the turn happens, because it follows the same kind of formula. There's this kind of coming of age, kind of teen drama, romance, comedy stuff going on, and then there's the horror turn. When the horror turn happens, it is so. It is so much more over the top and not seated well at all that I was like watching and I was like, okay, so he's going to wake up and then the real stuff's going to happen. Like, like (laughs) I was so, I was so like disconnected from it. So yeah. Yeah. What did you think of the violence and everything? Uh, I I thought it was just, it, they were going for like comical and just Mm -hmm. went too far. It wasn't effective at all in my book. I didn't, Yeah, I, I wasn't on board. I agree. Yeah, it, it, it one of the things that the first movie had going for it so well was the violence was insane. <laughs> it, was, right. it was really fun, mm-hmm. crazy violence. But here we have like a shot is fired at I think it was a deer or something, and it just explodes, and it just explodes. Yeah, it's just and dumb. it's like it's just it's not tethered to any type of reality. Right. It doesn't follow any any physics that we can kind of, you know, follow along Right. There's like a chandelier that falls and it like, it like pierces all the way through somebody's skull. Yeah. It's just the way I'm not doing it justice, but you have to see it. It's just not, the physics are just not there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just so bad, which not that the physics have to be there if you're going for an over the top thing, but it, it it just did not work. Absolutely. I, I agree. Um, and then I don't think we need to do a spoiler review cause I yeah. don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I want to just push this away, Right. but I will say that the, the way that the plot kind of comes together at the end feels a, like it connects every, it connects characters together in a significant way that I'm just like, okay, fine, whatever. Sure. Right. Um, it just, it, fe- it felt a little bit like, ah, I won't go that far, but it, it just felt really just out of place and everything. Yeah. Um, there's also the subplot with Ken Marino as, as, uh, as, as Cole's father and, uh, Melanie's father, Melanie's father, mm-hmm. like getting high and playing video games and then going to like, that felt just really, I love I love Ken Marino. I, I really do. And I think he does pretty well with what he has here, but it's just like, it's, you can only go so far. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, tiny, 
<laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, like I said, I was going to watch it anyways. Yeah. Because I was, I was a fan of the first one. Nice. Um, do you want to see a third one as a completionist? I was just going to ask you the same question. You yeah, know... I don't know. <laughs> honestly, it's... I'll probably watch a third one, but I won't be happy about it. it, it the kind of the thing is if they get Samara weaving back. Right. Um, Who I like. I yeah. I mean, she's amazing. Have you? Did you ever see um, Ready or Not? Yeah, I loved her yeah. in that. Yeah. Oh, me too. I'm yeah. I'm I want to rewatch it now because after good, I watched great the first movie. one, yeah, yeah. Um, did you did you know that the uh, Ready or Not people that made Ready or Not are making Scream Five? Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah. They're making Scream Five. They are the core cast is returning. So Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and uh, Courtney Cox. Wow. Arquette. Um, oh, I meant to bring this up in the news stuff and everything. Um, they're returning, and there's a bunch of people that have been cast uh, and everything. It's it's coming in like early 2022, but I'm super excited for it just because like I'm I'm I think I think it's in the right hands, but also. Um, Kyle Gallner is going to be in it. He played Lloyd Denton on The Shield in the later season, like in the oh, last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kind of budding serial killer. Mm-hmm. So, like, my tweet was, like, my headcanon until, uh, until I see the movie is that he is playing that same character and he has become a serial killer and he's the killer nice. in Screen um, which is ridiculous, but I will say that the official The Shield FX Twitter account liked that tweet, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Nice. And then also another actor that was another actor that was cast in Scream Five is the guy who plays the main guy in The Boys, like the main like the outsider guy. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, which something about his like energy is like it feels like that is a perfect like glove fit for the scream franchise sure so yeah so i'm excited for that but kind of jamie kennedy-esque yes yes that and like like adam brody a little bit okay um who adam brody was in scream 4 yeah um yeah so the babysitter killer queen um i will say i was kind of um quote-unquote vibing as the kids say, um, on the music choices, like there's some, some needle drops throughout it. That I was like, this is pretty good. Like, like there's like white rabbit, white rabbit. That was a good one. Um, yeah. which is always fun to hear in, in great song. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I think it's called Apache, right? Is it yeah, offensive? Apache. Like, is that offensive? <laughs> Probably by modern standards. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yeah. Um, and then, a little bit of Queen, also. Sure, right, yeah. right. Which I kind of wonder if that costs them for royalties or whatever. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, Apache by Sugar Hill Gang. My, my. I was gonna say like, is the Sugar Hill Gang canceled? <laughs> um, so yeah. Nice. Um. Yeah. So anyway, um, I hated this movie. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty so bad. much. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that's our review of the Babysitter Killer Queen. Uh. Let us know what you thought of it and everything. Um. It's midnight. Jesus Christ, honey. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's all right. I don't have to get up early tomorrow. Okay. Good. I technically I do, but I don't. It's fine. Gotcha. Um. I don't go to bed until like one anyway. So okay. Cool. <laughs> nice. Um. All right. Any parting thoughts before we let go for this episode? Uh. No. All right. Great. Well, next time on the show, we're going to be doing. Uh, Ben and I are going to be doing our next installment of the Ebert Great Movies List project. So yeah, so look forward to that. And then eventually we're going to get, we have to do 
uh, Tower Junkies. Um, yep. We'll be reviewing Misery and everything. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'll be resuming my, uh, what's it called? Anthology podcast. <laughs> what's it called? Uh, soon enough, hopefully. Um, soon. I've just taken a hiatus on that. Um, so anyway, so yeah, uh, that'll do it for this episode of, of The Obsessive Viewer. Once again, uh, masks are on sale, tinyurl.com slash ovmasks, or go to our Public store. Um, yeah, link in the show notes and everything. Um, thank you guys so much for uh, listening, and also check out my reviews on the website. Uh, ben has reviewed a few things that, like, he does, uh, he did a really great job reviewing cuties. And then he also is writing a column for our friends at Midwest Film Journal. Uh, it's his Happy Valley project. He's going through all of the Happy Madison Productions cool. movies. Yeah. Been there. So, yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, check that out. Link in the show notes and everything. And I am reviewing the Godzilla Showa era uh, set for Criterion and a few related movies there. So, uh, check that out. Link all in the show notes. Links to all that in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. It's funny you tell that story. We had mm-hmm. a, um, we ordered food a couple days ago mm-hmm. or last week or something, and uh, we did the contactless delivery. Nice. I'm pretty sure it was DoorDash. Paige mm-hmm. always does it, so she. Okay. I don't, I'm not sure what service she used, but yeah. a lot of them, or I don't know about all of them, will like put the food at your door and then take a picture of it right? yeah, or whatever. So <laughs> this lady... This was like one of her first few deliveries she'd ever done. Oh god. And she was a little bit older, like not old, but she sure. was almost like a boomer boomerish person. Mm-hmm. Um which is pertinent to the story. Okay. Um because she did not know what she was doing. And so like I saw her I could <clears throat> see through the window her come up the steps mm-hmm. and leave the food and then go down the steps. And then I waited another 30 seconds, a minute or so, mm-hmm. and went out there. And she was still out there, and her car was in the, our driveway, <sighs> and she was standing on our sidewalk with her phone. And she was like, oh, hey, sorry, I, sorry, this is like one of my first times. I'm still trying to figure this out. I was like, oh, God. I was like, you just leave the food and you go. Like, right. I don't know what you're talking. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was like, oh, oh, okay. And didn't think anything else of it. And then I was like, well, thank you. She was like, yeah, thank you. Bye. And then, like, 30 seconds later, I'm inside and I'm like unpackaging all the food and my wife just starts laughing her ass off Mm -hmm. because the picture that this lady had taken was of me like (laughs) bending over, picking up. I I didn't have a shirt on. It was was just awful. That's awesome. I was like, I don't even care right (laughs) now. I'm hungry. I'm just going to go out there and get the food. (laughs) Didn't even bother to put a shirt on. I was like, she's supposed to be gone anyways. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to obsessiveviewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer. And follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Fekis and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. 
If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Kitty!